0: Welcome to machine learning. GPT three chat or Chat GPT three. Why didn't they just call it GPT three chat? Why did they have to call it Chat GPT three? Now I have to reverse it in my mind. Okay, so looking at uh, Chat GPT three, I found it interesting that there is a business case for it. Um. So most of the time, you would think that uh, chat GPT-3 would be used for nonprofit oriented activity, but there is a business case for using GPT-3 in the various organizations in your company, and there's a couple of rules that have to apply. First, the content cannot necessarily be accurate. So in other words, let's say if you have a program that you're dealing with in HR for wellness, employee wellness or employee satisfaction, um chat GPT-3 would be good for analyzing or summarizing survey information where people typed in information about things that they like or dislike or or ideas that they want to see the company implement. And GPT-3 could take that text and then summarize it. Things that where it couldn't do real well is like if it had to, uh, if it were asked a question and it didn't know, it can create its own content that could be um, outside of verifiable accuracy. And they call that hallucinations. So just like the human brain, where it can't make sense of something, it can try to create an image or a hallucination to try to give an explanation. Now, that's kind of the interesting thing where if, for example, if you gave it a link, and that link did not exist, it was an imaginary link, let's say URL, GBD3 could create a story related to that link by using some of the uh, words or patterns that it sees in the URL and then uh, uh, formulating a generative text, a probability of what that could mean And so, in a sense, the model, the large language model, is attempting to give explanation or probability of what words might come next. And if we can't verify that or we can't determine the quality or the accuracy of the data, then we would say we should discard it. And that's probably not a good task for GPT-3 to do. Now, if we go back and say, well, now what could, what things could GPT 3 do? Well, it can write code, it can summarize, it can generate text. Um, So, in the case where you have workflow, where you have task one, task two, task three, and these are real critical tasks, we want to use GPT 3 to increase productivity and to do uh, tasks that are repetitive or um, time-consuming. And say, like, you have to write an email, you could just say really briefly, uh, write an email telling Bob that I won't be able to attend the seminar, but express gratitude for his role in my last book, Um, and then, uh, make sure to, uh, be generous in your gratitude and keep the information limited to like one paragraph. Okay. So the more specific you can be in the instruction and more concise and clear, the better GPT-3 is at generating its text within a context. And so, um, the ChatGPT three remembers previous previous input statements. It takes those input statements and then formulates text. You do read the text and verify uh, whether or not that ChatGPT three is within context of what you're asking. If not, then you can add further clarification to your in by additional input statements, until you get to the point you're satisfied. Now, that's interesting because it can generate code and I've, I've wondered if, if GPT-3 gets larger code bases where it's, uh, you know, you're looking at open source, it's looking at the GitHub now, and what about big, large open source projects like that um, have been popular like .NET Core? So could it write its own version of .NET Core? Could it write its own version of Linux? Could it write its own version of some popular software packages? And the question then is if it could, and then it could verify the functionality. It could it, it could test its uh, functionality. Let's say it takes a week of, of mainframe or... Uh, supercomputer compute cycles to run through all the code and to do all the tests and verification and all the function documentation etc and then you have a brand new code base uh, ERP all tested out all proved verifiable all the functionality exists and it exists uh, within the realm of a functional piece of software then who who owns it? And then the, the in this case, it, it the answer is depends. So it depends on the legal agreements. It depends on whether it's uh what what uh, the copyrights are, and where, how the software is being used. If it has similarity to another piece of software, would it be considered then a copyright issue? So that you have the issue of the copyright. So you have uh, uniqueness, challenge, but now what if the software is based on a new premise, a new theory, and it it generates the code based on other platforms, but it does it in a unique way, the code base is unique, Um, all the code could be verified by other programmers that it's accurate, Uh, business analysts analyze the the new code base to make sure that it's it's doing and meeting the the business needs then you know we, would you say then that you've created a unique piece of software that could be sold so that's the question that um, chat GPT will eventually have to answer in what areas will uh, things like publishing a short story or publishing even a full novel um, and you're, you're talking about a machine-generated text that could be very comparable to a human author. So if it wrote it in a style and language of a particular author, should that author receive a royalty in part for the creation of, of that novel? And so again, that ownership question uh, would, would continue to rise, and then you, you would have to... Uh, seek legal advice on that. So um, there is the ownership. So there's different things that that G- Chat GPT three could be used for: generating emails, uh, generation so- social content, summarizing, collaboration in team environments where you know you have uh, uh, interactions between team members, and you could use that. Uh, ChatGPT3 to facilitate the conversation, and you could also use ChatGPT3 to um, analyze conversations that are going on. And I think that's the part that would could be very interesting. Let's say you had a week long discussion, and there was a lot of uh, of interactions between various characters. Could GPT-3 learn the, uh, from the probability of the preferences towards one character versus another? Could it anticipate and predict that one character might be obnoxious or rude and the other one uh, might be deceptful? Maybe there's inconsistencies in what they're saying. So uh, it could characterize their personalities and then start to build its psychological model. Now that's something that that large uh, language models haven't done, but that's one thing that I've thought of with a virtual uh, psychiatrist, is that it could build psychological models for maybe an ethic of what is a healthy mental state versus an abnormal healthy abnormal uh, mental state versus an angry mental state versus a sad or depressed mental state. So it could build these models of personality uh, uh, based on these dialogues that are going on. So you could have various models other than the large language model that uh, are, are interacting with the, the text, uh, providing more more accurate, Uh, analysis and dynamics. And so eventually things like uh, facial recognition would come into play in the chat GPT-3 where uh, now you can use visual systems and there might be certain body language communication that's going on, tension in the face, uh, grimacing, laughter, relaxation, smiling, frowning, uh, sternness etc those those emotions could be analyzed also and added add that into context uh, feeding into the large mo- language models in an attempt to understand the environment around it and again we we're looking at those responses and we're saying you know are the responses useful and or, or are the uh, responses nonsense and if the responses come back as nonsense, maybe that becomes a feedback loop back into the uh, chat GPT-3, and it learns that uh, certain responses are not uh, good or positive, give them a positive feedback conditioning. So as we condition that large language model, will it begin to uh, respond more accurately, and more relevantly to our inputs. So I know when I've done the natural language in Python, um, I've used it to to generate text up um, code, and I've analyzed the code. And I found the code to be really straightforward and, and very direct, and uh, I've liked it. And um, And sometimes when, if I use words, like, I'm thinking of a concept, and I'm not using it specifically, and I'm just thinking of a concept, and I tell uh, GPT-3 code model to generate a function w- with a certain functionality. It sometimes can get confused and, uh, and, and produce uh, kind of garbage, and then I give it a, f- a thumbs down, and then I reword my, I rework my sentencing again, get it more specific and concise, and submit it again. And sometimes it'll give me a really good answer, and sometimes it won't. I think a large a factor depends on if that is a popular question that's being anse- answered on GitHub, and there's lots of code examples of frequencies of the, those words. Um, it's going to pick up on those patterns. And then when it picks up on those patterns, then... Then, then that will come back. So things that are popular, things that are, are uh, uh, being created, a lot of content relating to those subject matter in terms of code are going to be the responses that uh, GBD-3 is going to return. And it's going to give you multiple variations of that problem. So it's almost like it's autistic because it's going to look at that problem from many different angles. And then it can almost like go on tangents, uh, because you might ask a specific question, and it might show you the answer to that specific question, then show you a variation off of that, and then show you various other variations. And by the time you get to the bottom of the code uh, stack, it it doesn't really have anything to do with the original question. And i um, not sure how you can do that even in the context of human communication, especially when things could be taken uh, multiple different ways, how you could narrow that down. I think that's something that's really unique about human beings is that we take very complex ideas, um, l- requiring lots of communication, lots of words, and we can almost, through telepathy, I would think almost think you know, and just looking at the other person, thinking and concentrating, uh, communicate what that real idea is. Uh, example that I find fascinating with this principle of gesture, body language, um, some of the unspoken communication is the game called Pictionary, where you you draw a glyph and from that simple glyph you transmit an idea or concept and that's something that a computer doesn't have the ability to do right now is to take simple glyphs and symbols and to translate those into concepts uh, and then take those concepts and retranslate them back into words so again, uh, I think that this is an area where large memory models is not just putting more in there, more parameters, trillion parameters, you know, quadrillion parameters, etc, but to actually think about how human beings abstract out ideas or symbols into things that uh, are meaningful that have shared meaning and can be communicated.